sleepless nights, tantrums, household chores, getting children to eat the right kinds of foods, potty training, sibling rivalry, teeth brushing, dealing with illness, getting a baby to sleep through the night, homework, tackling bullying, your child's first day at school, and dealing with all the constant questions. These are just some, just a few of the things that in a newspaper survey, mums described as their top challenges of being a mum. Not surprisingly, three quarters of them admitted that motherhood had been more of a challenge than they'd ever expected. But, these struggles and those difficulties, they don't diminish the importance of that role. And they certainly don't take away from the value of what they do. In fact, I think it is the challenges that mums have to overcome that actually reveal the true depth of their love and their commitment to the kids. It is because it is so tough to be a mum that we want to honour them today and treat them nicely at least one day a year. It's something when it comes to serving God. Sometimes we can get really excited about those stories of Christians who seem to kind of go from one victory, one success after another. They're exciting and they're thrilling to hear those stories. And then we feel kind of embarrassed about those people who go through struggles and difficulties and hardships and challenges. But that's not how we should look on life. In this next section of 2 Corinthians, Paul turns this whole thing on its head. And instead, he boasts in suffering. So we're going to read this amazing passage this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you want to uh, have a look on, there are some Bibles there if you want to grab one. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And verse 16, or if you want to just listen on, that's fine as well. And I'm just going to read from verse 16 down to verse 33. This is the Apostle Paul writing. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you, or exploits you, or takes advantage of you, or pushes himself forward, or slaps you in the face. To my shame... I admit that we were too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. 
Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratus had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall. And slipped through his hands. Last week we were looking at the features of the false teachers that had infiltrated this church in Corinth. We saw that they were serving Satan by preaching a subtly different kind of gospel. A different kind of message about Jesus. A different Jesus. And they were trying to draw this church away from their sincere and and complete and pure devotion to Christ. But in this section that we've just read, Paul was focusing on the fact that these guys, these false teachers who'd come into this church, were also proud and arrogant. He said, many are boasting in the way the world does. They bragged about who they were, and how they were more qualified, or powerful, or eloquent, or successful than Paul would ever be. And actually the Bible warns us that this kind of self-promotion is going to be a feature of what Paul calls these last days. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boastful and proud. I think we often hear this kind of boasting in the world today. One example of this that kind of sticks in my mind is from this guy here. Jose Mourinho. Do you know him? Manager of Manchester United. He's often referred to in the media as the special one. That's because at a press conference back in 2004, when he had become the manager of Chelsea... He said this, please don't call me arrogant, but I'm European champion, and I think I'm a special one. So that's why he's called the special one, because he called himself the special one. But even if this kind of boasting about achievements or abilities is acceptable in some forms in the world, it really should have no place in our Christian lives. Paul said that when he boasted, he was speaking as a fool. Now, a fool isn't somebody with limited intelligence or limited academic ability. It is someone with limited life wisdom. 
They are foolish, not because they don't have enough brain power, but because they are making poor choices in their lives. They are doing things that are unhelpful, or are dangerous, or are pointless, or are offensive to God. And so Paul said, when he boasted about his achievements, he said, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. That kind of talk isn't sensible. It's not rational. It is ridiculous. It's insane. It's crazy talk. That's because, as we've seen before, Paul knew that it is by the grace of God I am what I am. Paul knew that he had absolutely nothing to boast about. Because everything that he was, and everything that he'd achieved, was because God had given it to him as a gift. There was nothing that he'd earned in himself, without having given, been given it by God. But more than that, this kind of boasting is foolish, because it is so unlike Christ. In the self-confident boasting, Paul says, I am not talking as the Lord would. Jesus would never speak like that. When he was on this earth, Jesus didn't go about boasting about who he was. Even although he is the most important person who has ever lived. He didn't brag about his abilities or his strengths, even although he is able to do much more than we could ever ask or imagine. He didn't engage in self-promotion. Even although he is the one who spoke this world into being and sustains it with the power of his word. But instead, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, Jesus is the one who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so if Jesus, if Jesus, the Son of God, the creator and the sustainer of this world, the one who rightly deserves all of the praise and all of the glory and all of the honour, if he refused to hold on to those rights and instead humbled himself so that he could serve and save humanity through the sacrifice of himself, then how much more should we, who have been forgiven, who have been set free, who have been adopted into God's family, through that amazing grace, how much more should we be people who follow in Jesus' footsteps and his example of humility and service and sacrifice? Boasting really has no place in our lives. It is foolish, it's unreasonable, and it's so unlike Christ. But probably the real difficulty of this passage is that despite all of that, Paul is boasting in this passage. He says, I too will boast, verse 19. 
So why did Paul do exactly what he had just had said was so foolish, so unreasonable, so unlike Christ? If it was so bad, Paul, why are you doing it here when you're writing this letter? Well, perhaps a couple of Proverbs might help us. If you go back to Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 and verse 5, this is what it says. Two Proverbs right next to each other in our Bibles. First one says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Second one says, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Okay? If you've ever read the Proverbs, you know that Proverbs sometimes present these kind of problems. Because if you read them, one looks like it's contradicting the other, right next to each other. But actually these two Proverbs are placed next to each other to complement each other. The first says that we need to be careful not to be drawn into the, down to the level of those who are foolish or we will also become fools. The second one says that in some situations we might need to use a fool's language to challenge and correct what they are doing. Because if we don't, then they can conclude that they are wise and that they are doing what is right. So some of the time we should avoid, uh, what the, avoid answering a fool according to his folly. In some other situations, we should answer a fool according to his folly. So when people are going around boasting about who they are or what they've done, if they're boasting about their, their new car, or their, their, their big house, or their job, or their family, or their church, or whatever. We mustn't be tempted to follow their example. And be dragged into bragging about ourselves. That is just not a competition that we should try and win. But in some situations, when that boasting is damaging... When it is maybe impacting a relationship or a family or a church community. Then we might need to confront and challenge that boasting. Even using the language of boasting to do this. To point out how foolish it is. And that's what Paul was doing here I believe. He believed that he had to confront this boasting in this church. From these false teachers. Because they had so deceived this church. That, they were al- that this church was allowing these false teachers. To basically abuse them. Verse 20. You even put up with anyone. Who enslaves you. Or exploits you. Or takes advantage of you. Or pushes himself forward. Or slaps you in his face. These false teachers were enslaving this church in a whole list of rules and regulations rather than allowing them to to live in the freedom that Christ has set them free to enjoy. These false teachers were exploiting them. They were devouring their resources just for their own benefit. They were taking advantage of them and the position that they had just to serve themselves. They were pushing themselves forward, seeking that limelight and that position and that fame. And they were belittling and disgracing the believers in order to build themselves up. Telling them that they weren't as good as they were. 
They need to listen to them because they were so much better and wiser and more godly. Of course, Paul refused to do any of this. I think it was with a bit of sarcasm he said that we were too weak for that. He just knew that what they were doing was wrong. And he refused to follow their example. Instead, as he said earlier in our letter, he says, we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The false teachers, they were promoting themselves and abused others for their own glory. Paul, he was committed to promoting Christ and serving others for Christ's glory. But for the sake of this church, these false teachers and their boasting had to be confronted. And to do this, Paul was using their own game against them. It's like he was saying, so you like these guys who go about boasting in your church? Well, listen to me, as I do a bit of that too. But as he did this, he turned that boasting in its head. And he focused basically on what the opposite of what his opponents did. So first of all, verse 22. Are the Hebrews? Are the Israelites? Are the Abraham's descendants? Paul says, so am I. The false teachers, they were boasting because they were boasting about their Jewish background. That they were in some way superior to the Christians in Corinth who were from a Gentile, a non-Jewish background. They are basically saying, look, we are more important than you. We know more, more than you do because look where we've come from. But Paul, he was also a Hebrew speaker, a native Hebrew speaker, a Jew by race and could trace his ancestry back to Abraham. As he said to the Philippians, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. But Paul also knew that none of that really mattered. In the end, those things don't matter because our background, our religion, our race, none of those things can ever make us right with God. Our only hope is Jesus. This is the conclusion in Romans chapter 3. He says this, there is no difference. And Paul's talking about that, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. There's no difference between anybody. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There's no difference between any of us. None of us can say because of our background or because of our religious upbringing or because of our race or because of our family that we are closer to God than anybody else because we've all fallen short of God's standard. And the only way to get right with God, the only hope of becoming part of God's family is through God's amazing grace and accepting Jesus and what he's done on the cross for us. So we're all in the same boat. Secondly, as we saw last week, these false teachers claim to be apostles of Christ. Well, Paul could also match that claim. He said, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder. If this was a competition in terms of effort and commitment in serving Christ, then nobody could compete with Paul. Paul. 
Because he had served Christ completely, wholeheartedly, since God called him on the Damascus Road. Of course, Paul also knew that it was crazy to talk like this. Because he knew that not only was the calling to serve God as a gift from God, but also the ability to answer that call was also a result of God's grace in his life. He says in his first letter to this church, I worked harder than all of them, comparing himself with all the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So anything that we do for God is the result of God's gift in our life. So we can't take the credit for it. We can't stand up and say, look what I've done. All we can say is, guys, look at what God has done through me. But it's here that things get really surprising, I think. Just when we might have thought that Paul was just getting going and comparing himself with these false teachers and that he was going to go on and compare what he'd achieved to what they'd achieved in terms of ministry successes or miraculous healings or or people coming to the Lord or churches planted or any of the other exciting things that Paul did in his life for God. Instead, Paul goes down a, a road that I don't think any of us would expect goes on to talk about his sufferings. Now, we don't have time to go through it in detail. I think maybe most of us wouldn't have the stomach for going through that in detail and think about the true meaning of what he's saying. Because it's a sobering and it's a shocking list. It includes things like direct and violent persecution. Look at verse 23. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Then this shocking verse in verse 24, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times Paul's back was whipped and flogged. 39 times. Five times. That same back with all those scars opened up again and again and again. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. The book of Acts doesn't even contain all of those things. It doesn't list them all. It doesn't detail all of them. So it just shows us that Paul suffered horrendously because of his faith in Christ. Then there were also the ongoing dangers that Paul experienced just because of his commitment to go and to travel and go into new areas to tell people about Jesus. Verse 25, three times I was shipwrecked. That's even before the one that's recorded in in the book of Acts. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move, in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits and a whole load of other dangers. One after the other. And there was also the attacks of those who pretended, who masqueraded to be followers of Jesus, like those in Corinth, in danger from false brothers. People who were pretending to be followers of Jesus, but actually were not. Then there was also times of poverty and struggle, when even Paul's basic needs were not met. I've often gone without sleep. I know a number of us in this church know what that's like. 
I've often, I've often, I have known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. But even more than all of this, there was also the burden that God had put on his heart for the people of God. Besides all of this, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul's heart just broke over the struggles and the difficulties of the churches that he'd worked in. He was just overwhelmed in his care for them and his concern for them. I don't know how you would imagine that, but I imagine that as this letter is read out in Corinth for the first time, and over over there are the, the false teachers that have been He's speaking this false gospel and trying to get rid of Paul and his influence in this church. I can imagine them up to this point keeping score. See how they're doing with, against Paul. But I can see them just slinking in their chair and keeping quiet from now on. Yes, they would be able to match Paul in his background. Whatever that was worth. They might be willing to try and keep up with the level of Paul's ministry intensity. But when it came to suffering, like that, well, they weren't able or willing to compete with that. Because they were in this for what they could get out of it. They were in in that ministry for the power and the prestige and the, the position and all of the prosperity that they could accumulate. How could they compete against somebody who'd suffered so much in following his Saviour's footsteps and laying down his life for the sake of Christ and the church? And yet, I don't think what Paul describes here is just for people like the Apostle Paul. I don't think he's saying, look at this and this is unique to me. Because this is what Christian service looks like in some way. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 verse 23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Of course we're not called all of us to suffer in the same way that Paul did. Or the other apostles did. But following Jesus always includes suffering. Always includes sacrifice. Yes, there is incredible honour, wonderful privilege, amazing joy. And the eternal reward of being with the Lord forever. But there's always a cost in denying yourself. In counting yourself dead to your ambitions and your dreams and choosing to follow Jesus no matter what. That's not an easy road. That's not a road of comfort and ease and prosperity. But I think we need to be careful what we're thinking about here. Because Paul wasn't boasting about all of this. To try and make himself out as some kind of hero. He didn't list all of the things that he'd been through. So people would say, wow Paul, you are amazing. 
That wasn't the point of it. Instead he says in verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. We're going to see that in much more detail next week when he looks at what he calls the thorn, his thorn in the flesh. But here Paul just highlights just one instance of that from his life. And with this we're just going to finish. He talks about the time he left Damascus when he was lowered in a basket from the window in the wall. Basically he was in fear for his life. He had to sneak out of that city because all the city authorities were against him. They were hating him because he was a follower of Jesus. So this wasn't a picture of, of victory and power and standing there confronting enemies. This was a case of him in weakness having to try and get out of a, a city to save his life. But this instance of weakness and powerlessness wasn't something that he was ashamed of. That wasn't something that he was trying to hide from people. Because he knew that walking in the footsteps of Christ is not about walking in the way of comfort or ease or fame or fortune or strength or spectacular victories. Rather it means walking in the way of weakness and struggle. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 16. In this world, speaking to all of his disciples, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But that doesn't mean we need to walk in defeat and discouragement and despair because Jesus went on to say, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We'll still have the trouble, but Jesus has overcome it. So it won't have the final say. It still will bring pain. It still will bring struggle. It still will bring difficulty and weakness. But it won't have the final say in our lives. So Paul was determined to boast in his weakness and struggles because he knew that Jesus had already won the victory. In, and that in those difficult times when he didn't know what was going to happen, when he felt vulnerable and weak, in actual fact, God's power was being more clearly revealed in him. Back in chapter 4, verse 7, one of my favourite verses, we have this treasure, this, the treasure of the gospel in a jar of clay. That's us. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God. And not from us. And he will repeat that, that message again in the passage we'll read next week when God says to him, My power is made perfect in weakness. So, like being a mum, the Christian life does include a lot of tough challenges and struggles and suffering and tears. But that's okay. Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus didn't come for an easy life of comfort or luxury or popularity. The Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So today, let's commit ourselves to walking in his footsteps. Even in our weakness and our suffering and our struggles and our difficulties. And just let's lay down our lives. In serving others. 
in sharing the wonderful gospel of Christ. Because it's actually in those times of weakness that God's power is more clearly revealed.